Welcome to the Murray County Art Podcast. I'm Mike Mitchell, Arts Director of Mount Pleasant Schools in Murray County, Tennessee. Today I'm here with Joe Christie and Frank Cole, both visual artists in their own right, but also have joined together for a toy venture that we're excited to talk to them about today. Joe and Frank, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so Frank, I want to start with you. You are really integrally involved in the Columbia Arts Building. Can you tell me a little bit about the Columbia Arts Building and how that came to be and how your um, involvement came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it all started um, when my wife was looking at opening up a vegan restaurant in Columbia. And we went into the area and we were looking at a building and someone told us, hey, there's a vegan cafe across the street. And we we're like, no, there's not. We live here. Um, so long story short, we ended up going into the cafe, and I was a cab cafe in the Columbia Arts Building. Um, walked in, they happened to be hiring. My wife got a job there, she started working there, and I just started showing up and helping her and kind of just filling in when she wasn't there or they needed help. And I was there so often that eventually I just kind of got offered a job, and never even really interviewed. They were just like, oh, you're on the schedule now, we're just going to have you work with your wife. Um, my wife left that to go run a movie theater. I stayed on there and just kind of worked my way through the cafe. And then we got to a point where Holly, uh, Holly Freeman, the owner of the arts building, just kind of needed a right-hand man. And essentially, she offered me the job. She said, hey, I'd like to make you the building manager and have you run all the day-to-day operations here, um, handle everything from, like, new tenants to classes to meeting with people to going out in the city and talking about the building, helping to build the brand, helping to spread communication about what's going on there, what our goals are, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so I've been doing that for about two years now. And I'm also part of the Columbia Arts Council. Um, I'm the vice chair for that. And I've been doing this in my first year doing that. And I'll have about a three-year term doing that here in Columbia. Um, yeah, but that's kind of, the arts building is just awesome. It's just a collective of a lot of different artists. Uh, we've got everything from Bad Idea Brewery Company there. Uh, Bloomstall was there. Salvage Darling was there. We've got Glover Secondhand, Little Juice Company. Upstairs, the Mule Collective co-working space. There's a jiu-jitsu studio, yoga studios. Downstairs, we've got Sarah Gillen's photography studio. Abby Clint's got a pottery studio. Uh, just kind of an ensemble, an ensemble building for artists to just gather. And it's kind of been a really cool Kickstarter for Columbia in a way. There are so many artists that have kind of got their start here and then branched off and been more successful doing their own things. Artists like Ryan Rado, um, CJ Hughes, Michelle Hughes with Bloomstall, uh, Needle and Grain. All these places kind of started at the arts building and then grew from that to doing other things in Columbia. So in a lot of ways, it either has unintentionally acted like an incubator. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, it's just kind of a really cool way to, if you have like a concept or something you want to do, the arts building gets you that space, that launching platform to come in and try it out um, and hopefully succeed and just make it bigger. That touches on an idea that I saw in Sarah's photography about really presenting a Columbia that's very different than people who grew up in Nashville think about, if they ever do think about Columbia, is that Columbia is where Mule Day happens, and that's about it. Um, And her photography seems to fly in the face of that, and the diverse stories, the diverse people that she's showing. Um, And that was my experience um, showing at the Columbia Arts Building, was that it was totally not what I expected because I also, um, you know that idea about 
your brain, if you're walking by your living room at night, your brain doesn't actually see the real picture of the living room. It actually uses the most recent picture unless you're actually looking into the living room. It's just sending an old image because it's saying, I don't need that new image right now. And so that's why sometimes we can walk by the remote control. That's sometimes because we're not actually consciously like looking at it. And I think a lot of people have that with Columbia because they went, went there once in 1998 as a kid or in 2004 as a kid. And so they have the, the, they have the old image of Columbia in their brain. Joe, can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Did you know that going in? How did you arrive in Columbia? Because I remember being surprised by that when you um, retired from teaching. Um, you have a practice um, that's well-known in Nashville. Um, you could show at a lot of places, and you told me you were at the Columbia Arts Building. I remember being surprised by that until I got to the Columbia Arts Building and saw it. Right. Yes. Um, well, I mean, it's kind of accidental. Paige, uh, I had been kind of, you know, as you well know, Mike, uh, wanting to get out of teaching for a little bit. I was just burnt out and just needed a break just for me. And I mean, I will go back to teaching eventually, but I just, I just wanted some time out. And, uh, Paige's best friend from middle school called her up randomly and said, Hey, I'm thinking of starting a little, uh, furniture business at, at the Columbia Arts Building. And, uh, we were wondering if you wanted to be a part of it and we could, put all of Joe's work on the wall and just, he could have a gallery. And I mean, that was the exact same time that I was really considering jumping ship in Williamson County. And, uh, so like a week later we drove down to Columbia. I hadn't been to Columbia since probably 1998. Um, and it looked, you know, kind of the same, but there were definitely things that were different. It was grown a whole lot. Um, and we found the little Columbia Arts Building, kind of tucked away over there by the train depot. And uh, we walked in, and I, I remember uh, Holly and Frank were playing music in the cafe and just dancing around while they were making uh, whatever it was they were making. And I was like, instantly, I was like, I love the vibe in this building. Uh, the the aesthetic of the building is great. I mean, it's old and like run down kind of on the outside but that's like on purpose and then you walk in and everything is redone and it's like super like industrial which is my favorite kind of design when it comes to interior design and uh we saw the space and it was like really funky and weird and then we met the people from the brewery and we met all of the people who were like kind of orbiting the place and uh, met a bunch of artists and i was like this this is not what i expected at all everybody was welcoming Everybody was warm. Um, they wanted to talk about work. They like they didn't want to talk about where you're showing, how much money you're making. Like they didn't want to talk about success. They wanted to talk about work, and I was kind of floored just at that because you know we live. I mean, we both live in Nashville, where it's it's very rarely about the work. It feels like it's a lot more about. Can I get put right here that's going to propel me to this next step? And, and, you know, in Columbia, they weren't thinking that way. They were just excited that other artists had come down to hang out. And um, so that was that was our whole, like, trial. We went in one afternoon, had some food at the cafe, checked out the space. I think Matthew and Krista signed the lease, like, a week later. And then by the end of May, we were, like, I was hanging paintings and selling them. Like, people would come in, and I, I sold more paintings than that first, like, 
first probably month that I had sold in years. And it was like people coming in being appreciative. Like uh, CJ, CJ Hughes, who became one of my good friends, uh, he bought the first painting out of out of the, the shop because he was like, this is great work. We don't see great work that much. Like, what is going on? Who are you? And uh, he, like, went home, took pictures of it in his space, posted it online. I Like, everybody who followed CJ was suddenly, like, aware that I existed. And it was like, I, I didn't really even know him at the time. It was just he wanted to help me out. Um, and that's kind of been our whole experience down in Columbia, that there's this community that's kind of hidden, and they'll embrace you. Um, I think meeting the other artists has been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, Frank and I kind of hit it off like maybe the third or fourth time I was working the shop, and he was just dancing around to run the jewels or something in the cafe, and then like popped over because it was a dead time, and uh, we just started talking hip hop because he, I mean, he he break dances all the time you can't stop him um so we started talking hip-hop and movies and then we i found out he went to watkins and i was like oh man that's it's like my backyard's where my brother went uh, i hung out there a lot in college and you know i didn't go there i went to lipscomb but uh, so we just ended up having a lot in common and, uh it's just been a really great fit for me and Paige. um that what you brought up about um people knowing your work and CJ supporting it. That is a really cool thing. I find that it's not always the case, but when it is the case, it really is valuable when another artist takes your work and puts it on their Instagram and encourages their followers, their friends to buy your work. I had a unique experience in that I'm working my regular day job, often in a building where you're an art teacher or art educator the conversations you have, you have to move the other way to the teacher for the conversation. It's rarely that they bring an art conversation to you and our guidance counselor, the school counselor at the high school is a Joe Christie art fan. He's like, Hey, do you know this guy, Joe Christie? And I was like, what? How do you know Joe Christie? He's like, man, he's at the Columbia arts building. And he's like, I really like his work. And I'm like, I actually know Joe really well. And he's like, you know, Joe really well. And so that's really neat to me that, the Columbia Arts Building has provided a space for people in Mount Pleasant, people in Columbia, Spring Hill, Santa Fe. It, it's become the next biggest city that they can go to and find a scene that then also is embracing them and bringing them in. It's um, Which isn't always true in larger spaces, unless you get really lucky to have. And I've, you know, we've all gotten lucky in different times, but it seems like the Columbia Arts Building, and probably because Frank's running it, uh, yeah. is that is intentionally um, just a little bit less of that having to prove yourself. You know, that scene from, for me, the scene from Bull Durham became really important when Kevin Costner tells Susan Sarandon when she's got Tim Robbins and, and, uh, and him on the couch and she's telling him which, which player she's going to get behind this season. And he goes, I, I, I've been in the majors too long to try out for anybody. You know, and he's just like gets up and walks out. Yeah. And that hit me one time when I was really pushing and trying to get a gallery to, you know, have a show for me. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't need this. I want this, but like, it turns out like this shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. They, they, they should like my work and we should move on. And so that, that was, um, that seems to be the vibe I got when I went down there and Wendy drove down, 
um, to, to be at that show. And we were just really impressed, but I thought it was so cool. I saw four people that I worked with and they're like, yeah, we come to the Columbia arts building all the time. So another part of that is Frank, the Columbia arts building has provided this space that sometimes galleries don't always hit the sweet spot of, which is making a space where artists feel like there's a rigorous conversation about the work and folks who are not practitioners feeling really comfortable coming to that space. Can you talk a little bit about how do you how do you hit that middle ground of making sure that when CJ and Sarah and Joe and you are there that you you can really nerd out about art, but also folks who maybe only go to an art show every once in a while feel really comfortable coming in. Is that because of the music? Is that because there's a place where there's food? Um, how, how did you hit that? What seems to be a really intentional focus, but how did you get to that spot? I mean, I think it's going to have to kind of vary because the, the businesses in there change. I mean, we had the Cab Cafe, it's closed. Um, we had Needle and Grain, it's moved. We had Lone Stall, they're moving now. So there's always something new, like opening and closing in there, which is kind of the point. I think it's just having a place that you always can go to and know that you're going to see something different, something that maybe you don't have anywhere else represented in Columbia. Um, Joe and I uh, recently went to Low Mill Arts in Alabama, the huge arts building, and it's insane. It's awesome. It's like, you know, 20 cabs stacked on top of each other. Um, but even then, though, I felt walking around, I was like, there's a lot of artists here, but the vibe there didn't feel like what cab did. Maybe it's just cab's smaller, it's more intimate. Maybe it kind of felt like you're more inclusive. You you know, Columbia's kind of a smaller place. You can't go anywhere without running into somebody that you know. And I think the idea of having an arts building, almost like a cool clubhouse it's kid friendly um we try new things and we had the first vegan restaurant in columbia we've got the only jujitsu school in columbia we've had at least a dozen yoga teachers start there and several have left and started their own practices um they kind of built their classes there i think that it's just about always having something new always welcoming something new not being afraid to try something not being afraid to fail and just saying cool we'll try it what do you have what do you you know what do you have what do you want? What can you bring to Club Yards Building? What can we, we do for you? Um, I think a lot of that, you know, and Holly Freeman's definitely, definitely, she's is her brainchild. I mean, she took a chance and said, "Hey, let's take this huge warehouse, let's turn it into something, and see what it can become." Um, and I think that you know, the cab today will be totally different from cab this time next year, cab ten years from now, and as the arts district in Columbia grows, the whole area around it's scheduled to built up and they're putting in new businesses new streets i think the whole community of artists in columbia is just going to get more immersive and people are going to look at columbia as an art destination eventually i love the idea it reminds me of sarah said that she had a mentor that told her you can either cross your arms or open them wide and it seems like the columbia arts building has decided to open them wide in, in in both in both welcoming and when someone decides to leave it's not a guilt shame it's a yeah we knew you would leave at some point because that's our goal is that you would become successful enough that you would have a standalone space or that you would yeah. you would you would have the portfolio to move to that other place that you wanted to get to even if it's not here in Colombia that's a pretty cool idea the open source the open arms idea um, and it reminds me that, like, thinking about both of your art practices. So looking at your 
your work, Frank, on your Instagram feed, you know, it seems like you allow all of the stuff that you mentioned about Columbia Arts Building to come into your visual art practice. Martial arts, pop culture, movies, anime, magna, food, uh, hip-hop, breakdancing. Can you talk a little bit about when you started being an artist um, and and then how that has progressed until what you're doing now? And, you, and, and also, like, dance, because I know that you're a dancer as well and you teach dance, yeah. so talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think it all starts from dancing. I mean, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I lived there... Um, and then I remember just, you know, loving going downtown and seeing all the street performers, always having a fascination with film. I and mean, that's where it came from. Like, my dad was in a wheelchair growing up. Like, me growing up, he had peripheral neuropathy, so he was paralyzed from the waist down. So we didn't go play games. We didn't go throw the ball, play basketball. We would watch movies. That's kind of how we bonded, just over film. Um, and so I just had a huge love for, for movies. Um, my first job was a video store. I worked at a video store, ran a video store until I graduated high school. Uh, graduated high school, took over a video shop, ran Suncoast until they closed all the doors on those. I did that for seven years. Um, and then moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee High School and found out there were a bunch of uh, breakdancers. You know, one day after school, hanging out, and upstairs one of our gymnasiums, here's some music and see a bunch of kids breaking. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, growing up in Memphis, we used to go down to uh, Beale Street and we used to watch the people street dance. And I was a kid that would go home and try things in my living room and, you know, dress like Turbo from Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo or something. But um, long story short, um, I was like, I want to do this. And I was like the Jinko kickwear kid. I was at high school. They called me like the punk rock kid. I had like spiky hair, Jinkos, huge pants. I mean, I was that guy. It was the 90s. It was okay. Um, but um, I remember going home and telling my parents, I'm gonna, I want to break dance. And they just laughed at me. They're like, um, all right. I guess, because I didn't play any sports. I wasn't athletic. Um, and I just fell in love with it. So I went home, and I, I think I practiced more than anything in my entire life. Um, most of it came from one spring break, went and bought some linoleum, got a radio. This is before YouTube. This is where you had to order, like, videos off the back of, like, hip-hop magazines, like, Source and stuff. You had to order, you know, DVD or VHS at the time. And just watching and just learning um, and just loving the culture, wanting to research, like, what the songs, who wrote the songs, where the songs came from, where the crews came from, where their names came from, uh, really doing the homework. And then from that, um, I also had an interest in street art, like, growing up in Memphis and growing up in Memphis, I mean, not growing up on the, you know, just seeing all the street artists and just thinking, like, this is really cool, um, not even realizing, like, the illegal aspect of it at the time, just being amazed with all the colors and the words and the names and how people were just saying... You know, no one asked, no one, no one, I didn't volunteer to look at your billboard, so you're going to look at my art now, and I love that aspect of street art, and I just kind of fell in love with that too, um, and then I just kind of started dancing and teaching myself, and then met up with a bunch of great guys that, you know, still dance today, some of them run their own studios, some of them have toured and competed professionally, um, and from that, as I've gotten older, I just didn't stop. I mean, I'm almost 40 now, and still love graffiti, still love street art, still love breaking, do it every single day. Um, totally, you know, any art that I have, I just kind of pull from everything I love, whether it's like martial arts films, horror films, pop culture, comic books. Uh, I don't know, I just didn't set any limitations on myself, and I kind of felt like Quentin Tarantino when he directs a movie, I'm going to steal from everything that I like and make it my own. Um, that's what I've done. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> It does. Joe, can you, I feel like you just described your sketchbook um, in some ways, but can you talk a little bit about both your practice, your work, but then 
kind of how that's connected to Frank and any collaborations you've done visual art wise, and then we'll move into schools of thought as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, Frank and I see influence kind of very, very similar. Like it's this sponginess, which like ends up making us rounded. So the more we take in and then filter out, you know, the more we're going to be able to filter out good stuff and then, make good stuff and then the bad stuff that we're like, I can do better than this. So, uh, I mean, and, and my sketchbook is very similar. Like I, I, I draw things from film, comic books, like, uh, Jackie Chan is always in my sketchbook somewhere. Um, and just, I mean, pulling things from, and then of course, you know, my brother and I are having conversations about, uh, like Marcuse and stuff that I don't really understand. Uh, but you know, I can kind of hang with Matt because you know, we're brothers. We've been having the same conversation for 37 years. So we, we end up having these like conversations about criticism, which bleed into, you know, what I'm making as well. Not so much as, you know, just the, the visual of, of, of the figure. But, um, so I, I kind of was, coming to you know just I, I make paintings i make paintings all the time like and you know i just i'm always working uh this next painting is not going to be a masterpiece it's going to be the next painting and i just keep making paintings and i don't make big paintings i just i just keep making paintings like i, I have to do it. It, it it's it's kind of become like like breathing like if, if i'm not i used to tell the kids this all the time when i was when i was teaching like i have to do two or three things every day i, I have to eat i have to breathe i need to work out and i have to draw and if, if i get all those down i have a good day um but if i don't draw if, if i don't work out my body and get that tension out in those ways like i'm kind of i'm kind of ruined for the day um and i didn't find that out until i was about 27 or 28 and i came home for christmas and uh i was just having a terrible terrible day and it snowed and everything it was beautiful and my dad was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. I just, just depressed because it's December. I don't know. And I, we were sitting and he was watching, you know, NCIS or whatever. And I, I pulled out my sketchbook and I just started drawing. And about four minutes later, I just start cackling uh, because I figured out why I was having a bad day. Uh, and it's because I hadn't drawn yet. And I was like, oh, well, that's so easy. Duh. I can do that all the time. And that's when my like whole like. And I had always been super into sketchbook, into, into making stuff. But that's when I knew that making stuff was that important to my, like, mental health and to, like, who I was. Uh, so, you know, I, I came down to Columbia, and Frank and I are sitting there talking, and I am drawing while he's talking to me. And he's like, dude, you're always making art. And I'm like, I have to. It's like breathing for me. And so we start flipping through my sketchbook, and he recognizes, like, a body without a head and he'll tell me what movie it's from he's like oh that's uh from the godfather and i'm like how did you know that it's just one guy in a suit but he knew like what movie it was from and so we started like riffing on like movies that we like and whatever and he was like hey there's this uh dumpster out here i want to paint on and i was like uh what so we went out and looked at the dumpster behind the cab and he was like i've got this idea i want to turn every trash can in Colombia into a work of art and I was like yeah we do 
Um, so we did, I mean, we spent, what, two weekends playing on that dumpster, and uh, we just made tentacles come crawling out. And the process of working together was unlike working with any of my students that I ever worked with. Um, the only person that I've ever worked with and, and enjoyed it as much um, is working with my brother. We've had a couple shows together. Um, but working with Frank, we just, we fell into this like, oh, you do this. Hey, do, what do you think of this? And it was just like this, like we had a shorthand instantly and we were like, we are art brothers. This is weird. Um, and so like, we just kind of kept making stuff and he would bring in the, the graffiti he was working on and showing me things. And I would, you know, I'm, he'd walk, he'd walk in and I'd be like, Hey, here's 24 more drawings I made this week. And he'd like freak out and be like, Oh my gosh, that's Bruce Lee. And I'd be like, yeah, it is. Um, and so we just kept talking. And then one day, uh, the cafe was slow and, uh, Frank came over and I don't know if I was sculpting at the time, but uh, I don't think I was. I think I was itching to sculpt because I taught middle school for 12 years. You know, my classes were nine weeks long. So about a third of that class was sculpture. Um, so every six weeks now, I have to sculpt whether I want to or not. It's because my body is and my brain is just ingrained with this schedule of, oh, it's time to teach somebody how to make stuff. Um, so I was already thinking about sculpting and Frank came over and he said something about, he was teaching a class that night and I was like, Oh, what, what kind of class are you teaching? This was before I even knew he was a dancer. And he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm teaching break dancing. And I was like, that makes so much sense because you never stop moving. And, uh, he was like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then well, how did, what happened next, Frank? Cause we instantly started talking about toys. Well, yeah, I want, because you were reading a graphic novel and I was like oh snap you were reading uh, New Mutants or something and I was a huge fan so we're talking about comic book movies etc yeah that's what it was we were getting excited about the Joker movie coming out um and then you one day you showed up and you like just brought me some graphic novels to read and that's like kid in a candy store I was like oh my gosh thank you so much I'm like here of it page I'm gonna go home and read it tonight um and then we start talking about toys and then we started talking about well, comic books led to toys and led to action figures um we talked about you know marvel legends and stuff like that and then we got to talking about hip-hop and i was like i've always wanted a series of hip-hop action figures yeah samurai martial arts type action figures that didn't belong to any specific license well it was just the figure existed in its own world and i showed you pictures of articulated icons oh, that's right that's they made the samurais and ninja figures and I said, I'd love to have these with, like, a hip-hop twist. And then one day you were like, we can make those. Yeah. And well, I mean, since I was 12, like, when I was 12 years old, the thing I wanted to do was be a designer. But I wanted to design toys, and I wanted to design the trucks that toys drove. Um, and so I told Frank that, and he was like, what? This is great. And then he had this whole, like, like other, like, life. Uh, about growing up and collecting toys with his dad. And so then we just started, like, throwing all of this toy stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to make some of these things. So uh, I went home and then I made, like, what, three or four little, I mean, tiny. Yeah, first figure was, like, a hip-hop The first figure was, like, this little, you know, little bit, like, army man size figure. 
uh, a samurai with a hoodie on in a b-boy stance yeah i was standing there with the samurai swords on and i was like we're done we're doing this like we'll be doing this for as long as we can <laughs> it was exactly what i'd always wanted to see and i don't know it was just the, that collaboration was there like i was able to explain what i wanted to see and you could see it because you you already had those same interests the same passions and you were able to take it and just manifest that idea and you brought it back and i was like we've got a whole world now but now we're just gonna build and it's just bigger and bigger yeah Um, yeah, one one day uh i was like hey do you know this this french b-boy guy named junior and frank like freaked out and uh and he was like how do you know that and i was like how do you know that you know and it was just like all these worlds like tripping in on each other that we had like been soaking up this pop culture and then letting so much of it run away and keep these little tiny things um and so we just started talking about how you know that's that's kind of how kung fu works in old kung, kung fu movies you've got all these different schools of thought like this is the mantis style this is tiger style this is a, you know a wu-tang style and so then we start talking about wu-tang clan of course um and hey rich and hey. It, like all of these things that we had grown up and then as adult men also continued to like be enamored with, like started to fall into a place where we could tell the stories we maybe have always wanted to tell um, with my love of the figure and Frank's love of, I mean, everything. Like he should have his own like podcast where Frank just starts talking about whatever i mean you could just name anything and frank would then give you 12 things that connect that from all over the globe from all through history like he does what pop culture with pop culture like like uh, like as an art teacher mike like what you and i have to do with art like if somebody says oh i'm trying to make this and then we're like oh that looks a lot like an alice neal have you seen that painting oh but then that design there goes all the way back to africa let's look at that like Frank does that with hip hop and it's like blows my mind. Cause I'm not there. Um, I can maybe do that with art and Frank does it with so many different things, uh, pushing it through film, bringing it back through like street art. And so we just overlapped on so many levels, but then also had enough cool stuff that I knew about that he didn't. And he knew about that. I had no clue that every time we were getting together, we were learning and we were learning so much from each other and also encouraging one another because what we were doing was hitting that overlap just right. And so we ended up just like being like, Frank, let's do this. Let's just, let's make some toys together. Let's, let's build a little company or whatever. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how SOT started, Frank? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, at first we were just talking, you know, we were creating characters and we were creating, um, so everything that we're working on now with SOT Toys is not even where we want to be. I mean, it's awesome right. stuff, and, I love it, and this is just kind of the jumping off point for us. Um, we've got a whole world, we've got a whole series of characters um, that I can see growing into, like, comic books, animated films, um, short stories. I mean, we're really just kind of getting the skills that we need now to create the characters, modeling, molding, um, everything from packaging something to branding something, so we can tell this much bigger story that we are cooking up now. And when we get to, I think it's just going to be incredible because it will be so, we'll be so tuned into it. It will be so developed. Um, 
that's what I'm excited. I'm excited because I know where we're trying to get to. Um, but yeah, so we started making these figures, and we came up with all these different characters and all their, their cool names and their backstories, and we created this small little world. Um, the first time Joe really put some of our characters in where I could see them was we were doing a miniature art show at Cab, where we had to do something miniature. And he's like, hey, I'm going to make these cool green glow-in-the-dark cats, and I'm going to make this, like, monk character who uh, eventually ended up becoming the logo for SOT Toys. Uh, he's a Shaolin monk named Breeze. Um, and basically, that character was just the launching off point. So once we had one character, cool, who does he hang out with? Who's in his crew? Um, does he have a DJ? Does he have a graffiti artist? Does he have, is there a B-boy in this crew? Um, who's the MC for this crew? Um, so we started creating all this stuff, and then we decided to start making them, and making more than just one. Because at first we were making them just for ourselves. We make like one-offs. I um, mean, in the toy world, a one-off is just one that you just make one of something to kind of have it. Whether you're proving a, you know, you're proving a concept, you're testing a different type of design, or you're improving your skills, or making like a single variant figure just to be fun. Um, I said we should make a bunch of these. So then we came up with the idea of like, well, let's just get some old stuff, watch some videos, watch some Craftsman videos. And uh, what's funny is we did that independently too. Yeah. I was watching these videos. Joe was at home watching the videos. And I'd be like, oh my God, I watched like six videos yesterday. And he would be at his house watching the same videos. And we were seeing like, hey, new videos up, a new videos up. And then I was watching everything from like interviews with toy designers. I ordered a whole bunch of books on like, you know, production companies and the ins and outs of running a production company for toys, designing toys. I wanted to talk to, I wanted to hear from the artists. I wanted to hear from the people that were selling things. Um, I also went online and did all the research I could do, ordered a bunch of books, told Joe, hey, I ordered this book that someone said, hey, you're only going to like this book if you want to start a toy company. And I was like, that's what we want to do. Perfect. Um, and then I started finding all the social medias for all these different companies um, and just kind of immersing myself in it and wanting to know what material they're using. Um, how many are they making? How are they coloring them? How, you know, so right now we're not making full articulated figures. Our goal eventually is to do full articulation, um, accessories, you know, cl uh, soft goods, which is like fabric clothing, custom packaging. Um, and we just, I saw where this could go. And then one day we were talking about, you know, what we should call it. Um, and Joe talks a minute ago about, you know, all the different martial arts, the different schools of thought, everything from philosophy to martial arts to, to everything has a school of thought. And I was like, man, I think it just kind of names itself um, because this world doesn't have any rules. Like, we're going to borrow and pull from everything that's ever inspired us. And I think well, we've created something that we can bring all those inspirations together. And there's no limit to the you know cool stuff we're going to produce. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of how School of Thought got started and how Joe and I started making toys. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was crazy. I, did, I had always... I mean, taught, I taught sculpture for 15 years and, like, loved. And, and when you teach 35 kids how to make a sculpture, you're not making big stuff. Like, you're making, you know, something that fits in the palm of your hand. That's what I used to tell my middle schoolers. I was like, I don't have space for you to make something much bigger than this because I have six classes. Like, there are 190 sculptures going to be floating around my classroom. Don't touch one that's not yours, and it needs to fit in the palm of your hand. Um because space is always, you know, a consideration. And so I had I had already, like, Paige laughed at me when, when Frank and I, that's my beautiful wife, um, laughed at me when uh, I was like, hey, Frank and I are going to make toys. And she was just like, you've been making toys your whole life, idiot. And I was like, oh, I have. 
This is crazy. So we, we just started like trying to figure out how to mass produce something because that's something I hadn't done since college. Um, and even when I did that in college, it was so terrible. I only made one or two of the thing. And Frank and I were talking, oh, we need to make, you know, runs of 25. Um, and I was like, oh, that, I don't know how to do that at all. So, I mean, we had to learn, 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 learn. And then uh, the first day that Frank came over, he, he came up to Nashville to my house. And we had cheap stuff that we went and got from Michael's and something I ordered from Amazon. And it was like like the cheapest you could get in resin casting and, and silicone mold making. And uh, we sat and destroyed like three things trying to figure it out. And it was awesome. Like our failures were so much fun for us because I was like, what did we do wrong? Why is it exploding? <laughs> and uh, he was like, there must have been moisture. And, you know, so we were like learning science. And then the crazy thing about that is Frank went home and the next week with his kids homeschooling them, they talked about the chemistry of resin casting and then he had them do it. So I was like blown away that like what our thing that we were trying to figure out became the next lesson for his kids. And I mean, his son is like a kit basher now almost as much as I am, uh, just always putting stuff together and thinking like a sculptor, like, you know, 30 years before I was thinking like a sculptor. Um, so just, I think, I think the whole aspect of not knowing what we're doing has been maybe the funnest part because we're like, Oh, we can fail this. We have no idea what it's going to turn into or, you know, if this is going to work. Um, and so as we were making stuff, uh, and Frank was sending me things all the time, and I was sending him things all the time, and then um, we saw this thing for DesignerCon, which is like a Comic-Con, but for designers. And it was for, for independent uh, comic books, it was for independent filmmakers, for in, independent like uh, toy makers. And I was like, this place seems amazing. We should go. And... <laughs> And so we looked it up, and it, it wasn't—it was more money than we're used to spending on things, but it wasn't astronomical. So it was—it was like the like, are we are we like are we doing okay? Because I feel like we're doing okay, because nobody in Middle Tennessee is doing what we're doing that we've seen. Uh, Not at all. And and Frank is all over the place. I mean, he's a research machine, so we haven't seen anybody who's doing you know, resin cast, original figures, like, there, there are bootleggers out there, but nobody who's kind of like what we want to do. So me and Frank and Paige got on a plane and went to L.A. for a weekend and uh, walked around the biggest flea market of designers you've ever seen. Um, and Frank made instant friends with, like, 12 people who he's still in, like, daily contact with. Um, we have designers from all over the place, toy photographers, um, toy makers, a couple comic artists that uh, post on, like, say, great job on their follow my paintings. They follow Frank. They follow SOT. And uh, it's like legit people that we are like, wow, they are so good. I can't believe we're sort of friends with them. <laughs> um, and it's just been weird. The, the, the toy design art world is very different than the uh, art fair world um, just a lot more a little a little more 
of embracing of the, the silliness of what we're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's that allowance, like you've got to, you got to have permission to be silly. Um, that's one of the things that my brother and I talk about all the time. Like I give you permission to make whatever you want. Like if there's no, just make it. Nobody's going to be a judge of what you're making. Um, and that ran all through designer Cup. It was just, Oh my goodness. I can't believe you made this thing. It is so dumb. And I love it. Um, Whereas in an art fair, it's like, oh, let's look at this. Uh, what are they thinking? Mm. And, and just none of that pretension was there. So we kind of like really loved that whole aspect of it. I don't think I've ever been as tired as I was that second day after we walked through the L.A. convention center all the way around like four times. Um, but that was that was pretty cool. We were we were glad to find some people that. We're thinking the same way and, and giving themselves the same permission that we've given ourselves. I also want to add in there that I think one thing that helped us too, not judging other artists' work, but once we got there and saw the level of some of the stuff people were producing and selling, Joe and I were like, hey, the stuff we're doing is already on this level. And there are a couple things we saw that I'm like, I feel like the, the technical aspect, like how well the molds are made, how well they're casted, how well they're painted, we were already there. I mean... We could have had a booth set up selling stuff we had made, and I would have been totally like, you know, we're not the best, we're not, we're not, we're not the, the best, we're not the worst, but we would definitely have, you know, I felt we were on the right track. We were producing yeah. stuff in the same quality of product being sold there, being represented there, and seeing people collected, people like show up at a booth and say, oh, I know you only did 20 of these for DesignerCon, or you did six of this colorway or you've done this special version with these accessories, like, I got to get it. One of the things that I was really impressed is all of these artists were putting out limited edition things for designer con. So people would go and stand in line for hours to meet one artist and have him, like, sign their art book or get their sketchbook signed. We're walking through there, and we see, like, Kevin Durant pass us, and we see Jack Black pass us, and all these celebrities that collect these toys are just walking around designer con, like, Head to the next booth to buy their next cool resident figure, yeah. and I was like, "We we are definitely in." I mean, and we saw everything from sci-fi to fantasy to pulp to sports to wrestling to Marvel. I mean, anything you can think of is represented. Like, I think it's one of those include art forms I've ever seen, where some people are making these chicken with their mold that they bought off Amazon making little resin alien men and anything goes like in the designer toy world. Like that's what I, you know, Joe said, you have that permission to be silly. I think the toy world gets you permission to be a kid and think like a kid. If you can imagine, if you can draw it, you can create it. And the people that collect toys are already in that collector mentality. Like they want that shelf. Well, they want to either want like, well, I love this artist. I want everything he's done. Or I want all of it. We have to go in and limit ourselves. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't just buy all this stuff. Um, my favorite Joe Crook quote is when we first got started doing this, like we were at Cap one day and we we're talking about making toys and looking at toys online. And I think I, I pulled the trigger and I ordered two action figures. Let's order two of these figures. Let's see how they're made. Um, I want to know if we can make these. And that's what we're working towards. Like they're articulated icons are these super articulated, um, like samurai martial arts based figures with tons of accessories, but they don't have any backstory. They just exist on their own. You buy four or five of them, you 
recreate the world they exist in. And I remember Joe telling me, I can't do toys. I can't do toys. And that's the way I was too. Like, I used to collect all the, you know, Marvel Legends, Mini Maids, um, McFarlane figures, Star Wars figures. Um, and now they're in a box in the attic. I remember my wife telling me, like, you, you can't start collecting toys again. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not. I want to make them. Which then meant that I had to buy a lot of tools <laughs> to figure out how they were made. And uh, one of the things we discovered really fast is that most stuff being made today is drawn in ZBrush, 3D printed, sanded down really well, scanned, and then like you know scanned or or they they scan it again and then fix it on ZBrush, print it out again, and then they make molds of it. And so there, there's none of this hands-on that, like, Frank and I love. So we decided early on that everything we do is going to be touched by both of us. It's, it's going to be hand, like, hand-sculpted, hand-cast, like, hand-painted. Like, everything is going to be super punk. Like, we're the punk, like, we're punk rock, like, back to Frank's roots. Like, we're, we're the punk rock, like, toy, like, makers. We want everything to be handmade like there's no super crazy technology like everything is and, and we've seen people who are doing that and it's phenomenal and oh yeah there's just something about it that doesn't resonate with our i mean i think it's our educations and you know who we are as artists that we want to get dirty like we want our our hands to be messy i got paint all over my fingers this morning already um so I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but cheers. Well, I love the. Um... But no, I mean, I mean, I think. It... Frank, did we lose you there? No, no, no. I froze up for a second. Here and see what the. I can hear you guys. Okay. So, while Frank's coming back online, Joe, the idea about permission reminds me that we always forget that one of the greatest artists that America has ever produced, Alexander Calder, who creates sculpture that most cities try to get one so that it can represent their city, made toys. And yeah. he didn't th and he didn't think about them as different as he wasn't making toys, he was making art. And it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a seen as a different thing for him, and he showed those at the Museum of Modern Art, and it's now in, you know, I don't know if it's in that collection. It's in a collection in New York for sure, yeah. and the video of him performing the circus is a go-to for most sculpture professors in the world. Uh -huh. And we forget that there was an artist that said he decided a long time ago to both ignore positive and negative criticism. And those had nothing to do with his practice. He was going to make what he was going to make, and he was going to make it well. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. That was, uh, Calder was always my introduction to sculpture with 6th and 7th grade, every time. Uh, because they are at a point in 6th and 7th grade where they're, they're not giving themselves a lot of permission to remember their childhood, because it is past. I don't want, any, I don't want to be t tied to that thing. I am this new, I'm this new thing. I am me. I am, I'm mature. And then I would play and I would show them videos of Calder Circus and him like, you know, making the elephant like spray water and they would get a kick out of it and then be like, no, no, I can't enjoy this. I'm, I'm, I'm maturing. 
And and that was always something that was huge for me is this guy's an engineer. <laughs> He's uh, got a degree in engineering. And here he is pulling out this these three trunks of junk made sculpture that move and do amazing things. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, playing with playing with that kind of story with, with my students for 15 years, I can't get away from either. Like Calder is huge. Well, that's really exciting to hear about how you all came to that. I love knowing that you are in the midst of something that you already feel is really successful, but that you only feel that it is the research and development mode of what you're up to and that it's moving towards an even better place, which reminds me of Joe, your practice with painting, right? Like I'm working on the painting I'm working on, right? I'm working on the sculptures that I'm working on and I'm, they're not the masterpiece. We're always moving to this other story. I love the idea that those are again, open source. Those figures are going to allow for me as a collector to create the story. Even though you both have specific passions, again, it's that open arm idea to say, well, I may have come to this from B-Boys, hip-hop, Wu-Tang, but maybe you're going to come from the story from something very different, and that's also okay. That's just really fascinating that you both are able to avoid snobbery, even though you are constant collectors of really specific kinds of information culturally. Right. And it's not always true that people as knowledgeable as you all about those really cool kinds of things like hip hop, like visual art, like anime, like dancing, all those things. It's not always that people have that catalogic kinds of knowledge, but also have the grace for a newcomer to come to it without the judgment of like, how come you don't know about this? Right. And I'm always impressed by that. And it, that comes back to the cab building is that it is both there for me as someone who has my master's in fine arts degree. It's also there for a teacher I work with who's coming to an art exhibit twice a year. And it's meant for both of us to have the same kind of experience, the richest experience that we can have inside of the context that we're coming to it with. And I love that that pervades the idea of schools of thought as well, is that it's still this open idea that everyone can kind of still come to it. Um, you guys, we are hitting the close to the hour mark. I want to give each of you just a, a little moment to talk about some books that you've read or strategies of of coming through this uh, safer at home or artists that you think we should look at. So. Joe, any last thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm reading a lot. Um, I'm also writing an hour a day. So that's, you know, what I'm reading is trying to feed what I'm writing. So I just read a book on the uh, historical, like, uh, how do I? It's about Dionysus, but it's not the myths of Dionysus. It's about the cult that grew up surrounding the myths of Dionysus. Uh, because I'm writing a character who's similar to, in, in ways to Dionysus. Um, I'm also reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy, uh, just because dialogue is perfection, and that's uh, it's kind of a similar time where one of the stories I'm writing is going on. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I picked up Gravity's Rainbow again, trying to 
slog through that thing. Um, I, I've been looking at a lot of Neo Roush as far as painting goes. Um, and let's see who else. Our buddy CJ uh, has just put up three or six or ten new books on Amazon. Uh, he is always putting like coloring books and like books for tattoo artists because he never stops designing either. And uh, so I've been flipping through, you know, what he's been doing. And uh, he's just always, I mean, he makes maybe more than I do, which is crazy. Um, and like, I love, he, I'm so messy and like love the mess. And CJ is so like clean. So like, I'm, I'm always trying to look at the things that are very different than me as well as stuff that I really like. Like I look at Neo Roush cause I'm like, Oh, I'm close to being, uh, being able to kind of pull off some Neo Roush stuff. And then I look at CJ and I'm like, I have no idea how to do any of that. Um, but I like looking at it. So that, that kind of comes back around. Um, I've been hanging out with my brother a lot. Um, well, we've been calling each other a lot, even though we live five minutes from each other. And we went for a walk together the other day, six feet apart. Um, <laughs> and he's been kind of uh, pushing this uh, idea of uh, what the future of education is going to look like. Uh, that's one of the things that we, you know, talk about a lot because we're we're both that teaching in our blood. And, uh, so we've been watching, sending YouTube videos back and forth about that. And, uh, just, we're, we're both kind of hoping that there is enough conversation going on that it's not the return to normal because we, we didn't, we don't think the normal before was really beneficial to teachers, <laughs> teachers, students. Uh, I mean, it was beneficial for some things, but it wasn't beneficial for the people that are in the trenches. Um, so we're hoping that as, you know, education has to change via like whatever that means. I mean, we don't even know, uh, that there is open-mindedness enough that, that people can see, let's, let's use this as an opportunity to change some of our goals for what education looks like or what learning looks like in the 21st century. Cause now we're, forced to be in the 21st century with all of this technology that is here, which when used appropriately is wonderful, but when forced on people because they want you to do this when you're sitting in the room with people, like, I mean, there's just so many conflicting ideas. So, I mean, those are just some of the things that I've been throwing around while I've been in quarantine for the last year. I mean, I mean, <laughs> five weeks. <laughs> all right, Frank, any closing thoughts? opportunity you gave us to talk about this um you know i couldn't ask for a better person to work with than joe um the support we get from our wives page and we call Paige our ceo uh, some of the best ideas some of the best things you've seen that's come from school of thought have been her ideas that's true uh, but, but, yeah i mean it's true she's our ceo uh my wife rachel uh you know is always i'll show her this and show her that ask her about this and ask her about that and she'll take the time to, to listen to it listen to the story and she wants to know the characters um, I love hearing my kids know all the characters by name. Oh, that's Pockets. Oh, that's Stans. Um, just seeing that my kids have already lit up about this and seeing their response I've gotten from people 
like I spent the day telling somebody all about what we were doing with you know no pre-context, just telling them about the world we were creating. And their reply to me was, that's the most Wu-Tang thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I was like, mission accomplished. I was like, that, that's what we're printing on the package right there. That's the little quote, the most Wu-Tang thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Um, and then uh, Joe sent me a picture this week of uh, RZ Raza, Rizza playing chess. And we had just made an SOT chess set. Like, we had made, like, pictures and taken our figures and made a chess set with them. And, you know, Kung Fu is a game of chess. And just all these things happen every day that remind me that we are definitely on the right track. And I've got the right partner to work with. Um, we've got people like you giving us an opportunity to get out here and talk about this and supporting us. Um, so, yeah, I'm just excited for where this is going to go. And it's just going to keep getting bigger and better. Um and it feels like I've waited, you know, a long time in my life to get to a point where there's something that I just could totally embrace, loving doing. But I could take everything from, from like street art to hip hop to movies to film to comics, toys, and just put it all together. And that's what we're doing. And we're having fun doing it. And as long as we're having fun, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate so much you guys giving me the time uh, in your day to talk about this. It's really exciting. I'm so ecstatic to see how schools of thought grows how it feeds back your own practice and then how that feeds back schools of thought um so thank you uh brothers from another art mother um for joining us on murray county art podcast today and thank you listeners for checking us out and please send this out to friends family and other art lovers in and around murray county